0: early in the spring when we round up the dogey we mark them and brand them and bob off their tails we round up the horses load up the chuck wagon and then send the dogies out on the long trail along, little dogie. It's your misfortune in welcome back to the american writers 100 pages at a time podcast in this episode, we will be taking a look at the entirety of Willa Cather's 1935 novel *Lucy Gayheart*. This is the second-to-last novel she wrote in her her life. Uh, the novel it, it's actually quite short. It, it's a little bit over 100 pages. It. it but I'll fit it onto this one episode. Yeah, about 130 pages in the Library of America edition. So it is a book you can read in pretty much one sitting. Um, uh, so it goes pretty quick. It, I think it can. It's a nice companion to Song of the Lark in that, like Song of the Lark, this is about a young woman from from the developed frontier area so Song of the Lark was about a woman from Colorado as I recall this novel is about a girl from Nebraska living she lives in a town Haverford on the Platte River in Nebraska and both go to Chicago to pursue their artistic talents both the character in Song of the Lark and Lucy Gayhart the titular character of this novel go to, uh, go to Chicago to, to, um, for, for art Right? They're both talented young women. I think uh, in Song of the Lark, the character there was maybe more talented a little bit. It's more of a moody novel in that we see her kind of surrendering her family and her maybe her more personal happiness for her art. That's not what's happening in this novel, uh, at least at the beginning part. It seems she's able to reconcile these quite, quite well. Um, but by the end, it's a tragedy. The tragedy doesn't come from from her choosing her art, really—at least not directly. The tragedy in the story comes from her falling in love with—I uh, don't want to say the wrong guy. I mean, it's just—you know—he is a married guy, so um, it's not clear how their relationship could have proceeded uh, had it gone differently. But um, the man she loves dies, and by that point, she's abandoned other another marriage opportunity. This leaves her depressed, sad, and and in some ways nearing the point where she's going to be neglected by her family. Um, But all that really doesn't matter at the end because she dies, right? Um, So our two main characters really are are Lucy Gayhart. Lucy, as the name suggests, is presented as a a rather happy-go-lucky kind of figure. Um, Here's how Here's how uh, she's introduced, quote, the gay lived at the west edge of Haverford, half a mile from Main Street. People said, out to the gay hearts. They thought it rather a long walk in summer, but Lucy covered the distance a dozen times a day, covering it quickly with a walk so peculiar her own, like an expression of an impressionable lightheartedness. When the old woman at work in their garden caught sight of her in the distance, the mere white figure under the flickering shade of the early sun trees, summer trees, they always knew her by the way she moved. On she came, past hedges and lilac bushes and woolly green grape arbors and rows of jonquils. And one thing she was delighted with, and one knew she was delighted with everything, with her summer clothes and the air and the sun and the blossoming world. There was something in her nature that was like her movement, something direct and unhesitatingly and joyous, and in her golden brown eyes. They were not gentle brown eyes, but flashed with gold sparks, like the Colorado stone we call the tiger eye. Her skin was rather dark, and her colors in her lips and cheeks were like the red of dark peonies, very, very velvety. Her mouth was so warm and impulsive that every shadow of her feeling made a change in it. So that's our introduction to her, our our main main character. She's the title character. It's her tragedy that we follow. The other main character is is a young man named Harry Gordon. He's a bachelor, and he's actively seeking out someone to marry at this point in the story. He's reached that stage in life where he wants to marry. Uh... You know, for a frontier bachelor, he's kind of someone who, who could do fairly well, right? And, and maybe kind of have his pick. Um, but he, he is kind of picky, and, and it seems he wants a bit of a trophy wife. And we'll get to that later on, that he doesn't really... It's not clear he's really pursuing love. He's marrying because that's like what's expected of him, and it's kind of a stage. And I really do think trophy wife is, is what he's after, and there's some direct evidence in my mind... for for that and so you know Lucy Gayhart dominates the first part of the novel Um, the books one and two it's it's in three books altogether. books one and two are dominated by Lucy Gayhart book three is really about this Harry Gordon years later thinking back on the events of the novel it's a very very short really just a chapter about 15 pages and it really focuses on him so he's in in a way kind of the secondary um, Protagonist, he's the one who really um, some of his actions really um, contribute directly to Lucy Gayhart's um, tragedy. Um, so we got to kind of look at both of these characters and see how they they interact and, and why things ended up the way way they did. Uh, there's other there's a whole lot of characters in this rather short novel. Some are background characters, some, um, but the most important character besides those two I mentioned is this guy. Clement Sebastian and he's a and he's essentially a a concert singer and you know he goes on tour sings songs sings a lot of German Lieder uh, with a with a piano player right and that's how these two characters Lucy Gayhart um, and Sebastian Mead is really through art through through music he's the one that Lucy falls in love with and he seems to fall in love with her so but he's married and like his wife uh people from their past are are in the backdrop of this novel and and they're talked about a bit um i'd say other characters you have to pay attention to if you read this novel would be uh lucy's sister her name is pauline we only really get a good look at her at the end of the novel where her her character sort of dominates and if many ways part two book two i mean is pauline's it's like lucy's part then pauline's part and then harry Pauline's decisions are really key to to that part of the novel. We have um, Sebastian's accompanist. He, the one who plays piano for him, usually his guy. His name is. I want to make sure I get these names right. Is uh, James Mockford. and he usually tours with this with Sebastian and plays the piano for him as he sings, you know, Schubert songs and things like that. Um, those are probably the main characters that, that you need to know to jump right into this, this story. So uh, we learned very early on that Lucy went to Chicago to study music. Right now, when the novel begins, it's in Haverford, it's in the winter, and she's on Christmas holiday. Uh, her father is fairly successful watchmaker who's musically inclined. Uh, he, they, they, The family's sacrificing quite a lot to send Lucy to Chicago, uh, but, but Lucy... In her character is a little bit oblivious to that. Uh, this is something Pauline really pushes on her later on in the story. Um, but he's fairly successful. He has land. He's got a farm. You know, like a lot of um, families out in the West. Um, now this winter, she's just sort of hanging out on winter vacation at Christmas time in her hometown. Going skating. She, you know, just enjoying herself, seeing her family. And she spends time with Harry Gordon. Harry Gordon, who is already thinking, like, who is he going to marry? What's, you know, who, you know and there's, there's a couple, we introduced this to two of the possible women that he might want to marry and, and what his problem with one is and why he kind of desires Lucy. But I get the sense there might be other people he's he's thinking about as well. But he's focusing mostly on uh, Lucy and this other woman named, uh, was it, Harriet Arkwright. So, but the, the beginning of the novel is pretty delightful. It's all s- s- um, set in Haverford in this winter vacation. Uh, and we kind of get this date between Harry Gordon and Lucy Gayhart. They go ice skating, they go on a sleigh ride, and she kind of dozes off during the sleigh, sleigh ride. Um, but that, that winter holiday comes to an end, and she has to return to, to Chicago. Uh, the kids return to school, and so Lucy gets on a train with some other local people and, and all goes off east to Chicago. Gordon goes with her, actually, because he wants to take a trip to Omaha. So it's not a very far trip for him on the train. But he's going to Omaha to meet this Harriet Arkwright, who he is, is courting at the time. And we, we we're told, um, through his point of view a little bit, um, the narrator's the third person, but we get, um, we get a little bit of an insight into what he's looking for in a, in a, in a wife. Quote, she was, a position of, of, she was a person of position in St. Joe. Her father was president of the oldest banking house, and she had a considerable fortune of her own from her mother. If she was 26 years old and still unmarried, it was not from lack of suitors. She had been in no hurry to tie herself up. She managed her property very successfully, traveled a good deal, liked her independence. A woman of the world, Harry considered her good style, always at her ease, had a kind of authority that money and social position give. But she was plain, and confounded. she looked like a men in her family. And she had a hard, matter-of-fact voice, which never kindled with anything slightly nasal. Whatever she spoke, she divested of charm. If she thanked him for gorgeous roses, her tone deflowered the flowers. End quote. So we 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 learned that what he what he likes about her is that she, he's he's becoming a banker, right? He's a, essentially a young banker. You know, that this is position, it's going to be connections, it's going to be money, right? But she's kind of, she's plain looking and, and off-putting in various ways. So I get the sense here that he, he really is sort of looking with a, for a trophy wife. And Lucy, the, the creative type, the artist, um, much more beautiful, a, a little naive, it, you know, fits something else he's looking for um, in, his, in his life. So, but I get the sense here that marriage is kind of a game for him, right? Uh, Just a page later, we're told, quote, Gordon got in a horse cab and started for his hotel. His chin was lowered in his muffler and he smiled at the street lights as the cab brought along. Yes, he told himself, he must use diplomacy with Miss Arkwright for a little while longer. Her stock was going down. He meant to commit the supreme extravagance and marry for beauty. He meant to have his wife other men would envy. Her. He meant to have a wife that other men would envy him. So yeah, it's kind of a game and, and it's pretty clear he's looking for some kind of trophy wife. Um, now, on the way to Chicago, maybe in a dream, maybe in just some fantasy, Lucy has a vision of Clement Sebastian and, and her audition for him. Because she actually, we, we learned that she, before Christmas, she was told by her teacher... Her teacher is um, Paul Auerbach is his name. And we meet him a little bit as we heard about his wife. He's kind of just in the background, but he's her teacher and she goes to lessons, piano lessons with this guy. But he's the one who before Christmas actually arranged that she would uh, go to um, Clement Sebastian's performance and then perhaps meet him at some point. So, yeah, I think this, this happened before Christmas. I think this is, a, this is like a flashback. Um, that actually before Christmas, she saw Sebastian sing and it was like Schubert songs, right? And these had a really profound impact on on her. Her connection to Sebastian really is, in many ways, artistic and and based on his ability to interpret these Schubert songs and these other songs he sings, the the passion he has in, in the music. Um, after hearing one song, Catherine writes, it was it, as if the songs sort were of to have some effect upon her own life. She tried to forget it, but it was unescapable. It was with her like an evil omen. She could not get it out of her mind. For weeks afterwards, she kept singing itself over in her brain. Her foreboding that on the first night, that the first night had not been a mistake, Sebastian had already destroyed a great deal for her. Some people's lives are affected only by what happens to their person or their property, but for others, phase what happens to their feelings and their thoughts. That and nothing more. So we're told um, the reason why her teacher Paul Auerbach, is looking for this accompanist for for Sebastian and and, rec- and he recommends Lucy is a, is is his regular piano player James Mockford, is ill he's kind of um, bedridden and he can't work for a while so Lucy is the one who's going to kind going to come in to his office every day to his studio every day and you know, play piano while he sings his songs and practices for his 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 tours and his performances. So that's how we meet. She goes to another performance of his and she hears him sing Schubert again. It's uh De Winter Eis, which is kind of his greatest song cycle. Most people know of the two major song cycles written by by Schubert, and maybe this is the most famous one. Right, because what this song cycle did is it kind of had connected themes and, and, and almost character throughout it. It's, in fact, I listened to a little bit of it while I was writing down my notes for it, and she just really loves his interpretation, um, which seemed rather special to her. The interpretation, in her view, was, she said something or, Catherine writes, something new. For her, it was the it was being sung for the first time, something newly created, and she attributed it to the artist much that belonged to the composer. She f- kept thinking that this was not an interpretation, just the thing itself. With one man and one nature behind every song, the singing was not dramatic in any way she knew. Sebastian did not identify himself with this melancholy youth. He presented him as if he were a memory, not to be brought too near into the present. One felt a long distance between the singer and the scenes. He was recalling a long perspective." So she's attracted to something in the interpretation of Schubert that she hears. Um, performed by this this character. So after hearing this, she she begins her she meets him and she goes to begin a schedule of practicing with him pretty much every day. I mean, he's a professional singer. He's from Europe. Uh, he has to you know perfect these performances. So she has to be there every day to, to play piano for him. Um, now many days it's really it's a very really intimate relationship actually, and I don't know what this is like in real life. I, I'm sure, I, I've, I really do believe that this is a very close intimate relationship where these people spend all day together, they, they pour out their heart and their art uh, together, you know, they, their success is joined together, right, a very very close relationship to be, be sure, probably true of, of many musicians who, who have to work together. Um, so many days, it's really just Lucy, Sebastian, and Giuseppe, who's kind of like the servant for, for Sebastian. But throughout this whole, Sebastian does come off as a bit aloof. He's a bit, uh, you, know, you know, he's married, he's got his own business too, but he is a bit standoffish from, from Lucy. So we don't get the sense of a really intense personal relationship. And one thing i want to say here about a lot of times we're, we're introduced to characters who keep their distance from lucy and lucy st- tends to take this kind of harshly and this might be some of her naivete some of her you know she, she is introduced early on as a delightful uh girl who kind of young woman who who kind of is almost skipping down the road right in a, in a summer dress or something that, that's like our first introduction to her you know because she takes it very personally when he's a little bit aloof with her and later on with harry gordon she also takes that same aloofness very personally now in in the second case that's real It's, it's a real aloofness that was cultivated by that character for on purpose but it's still lucy is very sensitive about this and so we as readers are are also encouraged to look at this sensitively um Now, even like the aloofness, though, Lucy finds in it something, attraction, and like there's some deeper meaning behind this. Um, This is on page 671 of the Library of America, edition of Lilla Cather's novels. Quote, When she used to see Sebastian by chance occasionally on the streets or in the park, his face seemed to her forbidding. Sometimes she thought it stern and indifferent, but more than once it struck her as melancholy. In the studio... There was none of that. He met her with a smile and throughout the morning was friendly and affable. Yet she went away feeling that the other man, whom she used to see secretly, was his real self. Trivial, accidental things gradually broke down his reserve. Once, as she was coming down the lakeside of Michigan Avenue, just before she crossed to the arts building, she happened to glance up and saw Sebastian standing in the open window looking down at her. He leaned a little and waved his hand. After that, he was at the window almost every morning. Quote. It goes on like that. So... W- you know, there is this kind of initial aloofness, but it seems to break down. And that, that's, what I think, our first hint, actually, that Sebastian is developing feelings for, for Lucy. Um, and again, it, it's not surprising, you know. Working together every day, Lucy's presented as kind of charming, fairly delightful, quite beautiful, talented musician. All done. Um, now, the first real thing that sort of breaks Lucy's heart in this burgeoning relationship between her and Sebastian is essentially you know—it's obvious that she's falling in love with him by this point it's, it's not clear that Sebastian has feelings for her yet um you know he is married and and she knows this. she gets calls or she hears him talk on the phone with his wife at a, few, at a few times and then we'll talk about the relationship with his wife later it's not a happy marriage by any sense and it's not surprising that Sebastian's looking for love but he's also not the kind of man who's going to seduce an unmarried you know american girl it seems to me anyways at least that's not how he's presented as all so this relationship does seem to be a bit of a dead end you know you're not sure how if another another story that would have been about fulfilling this relationship to see where it goes you know we don't get that story obviously but had that story been written it's not clear how they could have resolved this this tension. Maybe it couldn't have been resolved. Um, so what really... Um, her first real setback and her first, the first kind of tragedy she feels in this relationship is that Mockford recovers and he takes over the job, essentially. And her feelings are, are a bit hurt by this. She, she's, she really thought that maybe she could really fill up, fill in Mockford's job. But obviously that was not what she was she was hired in fact she meets mockford and like i think she comes home to work one day and he's there and they, they chit chat a little bit but she's fairly hurt by this um and she kind of gets a little bit petulant uh willa cather writes it was a farce that she should be playing for sebastian how could she ever have got in for for it she had gone to his studio at the time for the first time because she was asked to come she loved being there and went again and again he had seemed pleased and amused and was very kind." She even felt that he liked her being young and ignorant and not too clever. It was an accidental relationship between someone who had everything and someone who had nothing at all, and it concerned no one else. She had dropped down into the middle of this man's life, and she snatched what she could for the present and the past. Her playing for him was nothing but make-believe, and his friendliness was make-believe, perhaps. There was nothing real about it except her own feelings. That was real. End quote. So that's the clear statement we get about her her feelings of love for for Sebastian, but she thinks this relationship has reached its end. It's really not going to be a future for her for it. And, you know, there's good reason to think that's not true. What changes is the fact that Sebastian has developed feelings for her and, and wants to wants her to work for her again. So he he goes on this tour. I think it's like to the Great Lakes. Well, they're, no, they're in the Great Lakes. They're in Chicago, so he, he goes like up, it's up to like Wisconsin, Minnesota, or something. So it's so a it's a short tour. It's a it's a quick tour to these northern states. And and she, when he comes back, he sends her like a postcard saying, "We want to come back to work." So she's a bit surprised by this, but she she is eager to come back. And while they're practicing, or at the end of their meeting, I think it is after they they work, she's She kind of opens up and and more or less expresses her feelings for him, saying, Mr. Sebastian, didn't you ever get any pleasure out of being in love? And the response is, uh, you know, he shook his head slowly, frowned with his bras and smiled with his lips. no, No, not much. Then turning to find an ashtray, he said mischievously, why do you? Lucy found herself at the door with her hands on the knob. She wanted nothing so much as to be outside. But for some reason, she stopped and turned to face him without seeing him at all. Yes, I do, and nobody can spoil it. She could hear her own small voice small and cracked, because there was no breath behind it. Once outside the door, she did not ring for an elevator, but ran down five flights of stairs as fast as she could. When she was a little girl, she used to run away after being scolded along the country road that led towards the plat. And... and and it goes on like this, describing her youthful, her, her childish running away from home, right? And, and that's, this is compared to that running away from home. Um, so she kind of expresses her love in a very kind of awkward way and is embarrassed by it and, and runs away. Now, Lucy's fairly passive in this. That's probably the boldest she gets in this entire novel, it seems to me, uh, especially with a relationship with Sebastian. Maybe she has assertive motives with with Harry Gordon, but but not so much with Sebastian. Um, Because it's Sebastian who who kind of reaches out to Lucy again and brings her back to work um, playing piano. We learn a little bit about this relationship between Sebastian and his wife, who's really only a character in the background of the story. Um, For instance, they didn't have any children. And at one point, Sebastian had basically essentially adopted a a quote-unquote talented boy, Right, an orphan, and he had sung opera or something. So he basically wants to, to have a son who can cultivate into an artist, and, and he, you know, he is very much interested in this. The wife, though, isn't. So after a year and a half, uh, she basically couldn't handle it anymore and sends this young boy, whose name is Marius, away to a school and, and basically abandoned him. And, and it seems that that event is really a contributing factor into his decision to go to America. And, and to live abroad. Um, actually, Sebastian, by the way, is actually an American who who spent most of his life in in Europe, and this is kind of was a return home, from, home for him. But he's he's an artist from Europe, essentially, even though you know by birth he was an American. Um, and it, it seems she like often calling, asking for money, and she's just not presented in the most favorable light, right? Um, now, anyways. Sebastian takes the initiative again to reach out to Lucy Gayhart, and he actually comes out to tell her, he, as an excuse to meet her, he, he tells her the story of how his friend had recently died. His name's Larry Mc... Sorry, I had to look it up. My I couldn't read my own handwriting there. Uh, Larry McGowan is, is his name, and they were friends, him and Sebastian were friends, and they had a bit of a falling out, but he just got word that he died and he wanted to talk about it with someone. And he chose Lucy to do that. And that's kind of the beginning of the relationship again. And then he, he actually invites her to tea the next day. And while they're at tea, he says he loves her. He, he does sort of admit that he loves her. But he, he laughs it off in reply. Uh, after saying this, it, it's kind of an immediate reply. He even before Lucy can say anything, he says like, but you you say think you have feelings for me, but they're just childish. right? You can't love me. I'm an old man. It's just kind of a, a silly girl's crush. But my love for you is real. right?" He says, don't be frightened, Lucy. I'm not going to make love to you. Though it's true enough, I love you. Why do you crouch away from me like that? And your little hands are so cold. What are you afraid of? I don't know of things being different. Maybe you won't let me come and play for you anymore. Please don't send me away. I won't be a bother. Send you away? I'm afraid I'm not so unselfish. Perhaps I ought. But it isn't as if you were really in love. I'm quite old enough to be your father, you know. You are merely growing up and finding things. It was just that freshness which charmed me, I thought. But now I believe I love everything about you, Lucy. The mornings used to be dull and heavy here. You brought something sweet in with them. I began to watch you from the window. And when I caught sight of you tripping along in the wind, my heart grew lighter. I love young ardor, young fire. I had a young, nice boy in my house once, but he had gone away to school. What a difference you have made in my life here. When you knocked, it was like springtime coming at the door. I went to work with more spirit because things were new and wonderful to you. Right? at the same time, he really does seem to express a genuine love for her, but discredits her feelings for him as kind of youthful uh, delusion. And, and again, I don't know how this relationship could have really moved forward if if Sebastian doesn't doesn't die tragically on, on tour. It just it seems to me it's um, you know we you know should be his mistress or something. That's that seems the best point. Isn't like ever recommend. Um, leaving his wife, and he, he's not the kind of person I think who would take a girl like Lucy Gayhart to be a mistress. He seems to be fairly stand-up, fairly respectable. Um, so uh, Sebastian goes on another tour. I think this one's to the east somewhere, to, to New York. And during this, Harry Gordon comes to visit, and he visits with an agenda. He visits essentially to court Lucy and to bring her back as his wife. Um, They go to the opera. They go to, like, Aida and Lohengrin by Wagner. She's never seen Lohengrin, so it's kind of a big moment for her. But um, it's kind of freaky for Lucy because Lucy has just had this encounter with Sebastian where, essentially, there's a professional love on both sides to some degree, even though Sebastian doesn't take her love for him quite as seriously. Um, But he he does his due diligence. He takes her to the opera a few times, does the things she's like, takes her to dinner, you know, you know, Harry's not a horrible person. He, he is a little bit maybe playful with love, and he shouldn't be, but he, he's, he's decent enough at this point anyways. And he does everything he should do. Finally, he he says he wants to marry her. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I do think, he though, he wants a trophy wife. So, you know, I don't think he's horrible. He's not a horrible person. He certainly feels guilt over what happens at the end of the story. But nevertheless, he's a little bit... Um, Flippant with, with love in ways he, he perhaps shouldn't be. And, and this, is kind of, this is there's a few moments here where he doesn't come off very well. Little, you know, But I think it comes to the heart of what he's looking for in a wife. He says, and now, Lucy, and now, isn't it time we got down to business? We know each other pretty well. You've had your little fling. You want to see the world, but you'll see it a lot better with me. Why waste any more time? This is April. I think we should be married in May. Or June, if you like, but we mustn't let summer slip by. End quote. So he—it's not—he—he he doesn't really suggest here he's going to let her fulfill her career as an artist. That's what really seems kind of gross a little bit about what Harry does. Is you know, it's like, oh, you've been able to play around. You've been to Chicago. You've done your music thing, but you're going to come back to Nebraska and be my wife, right? My my pretty delightful wife that's going to impress everyone. So. But of course, Lucy can't accept this proposal, and she says, "I have another. I'm in love with someone else." And then, and with this, Harry sort of blanches out. Uh, obviously, you know, because he doesn't. He, at one level, he doesn't. She doesn't really explain that nature of the relationship, or that Sebastian's married, or or whatever. He probably thinks the worst. Um. You know, first he's mad that Lucy kind of lets him come and spends all this money and and goes on all these dates with him if she's. You know, got someone else in mind. He he says, "But what's all this? Another man?" And he lets and he lets you play around with me all week. You're trying to fool me, Lucy. And then she explains that it's the man I work for. Um, but he flips out. He, he goes to pay the bill. He goes to like, to make a phone call. He pays the bill and tells the waiter to tell her that he's had to go. He had to go. He doesn't really even meet her again and that day. It's all that's not that that's not a nice thing to do either. But you know, I can kind of understand that he's been. Fairly humiliated, he thinks Lucy's, you know, maybe shacking up with some guy. So he just has to uh, expel himself from the situation. Still, I, I'm not, you know, I, I think there's plenty about Harry that we can um, not like in this story, but he's not the most horrible man we've ever met in one of these novels we've been looking at. You know, but he is pretty angry at this point. So Sebastian comes back very briefly and this is probably the, the happiest moment it seems for, for Lucy, you know because she's kind of closer to her and on having Ford on her home on, on Harry. She's kind of committed to him. There's been this expression of love on both sides. She's really excited for his return because this is going to be the time they're going like fulfill the relationship. Um, he right after this he goes to Europe, so he's going to go on this long European tour. but she tells him, she tells him that he that she's going to play piano for him in future tours. That she's going to replace, um, uh, Mockford. There's such a preposterous name, Mockford. It seems to me, but that's why I keep maybe slipping my mind. Um, she's going to replace Mockford as the as his piano player on on tour. He's going to find him a different job, and then, you know, now the relationship really. Is more open-ended right it's, it's, it could go many different ways so uh, they practice a little bit um, before he leaves for Europe um, she actually moves into Sebastian's home into his studio so she can focus on his rehearsals because she has to be top-notch of course so instead of you know coming in every day from her house she's going to live there she's, she kind of moves in essentially even though he's gone right so she's really joyous at this um while this happens, while she's preparing for, you know, practicing for her, um, her future job, essentially, what could be her future career, uh, she hears that Harry married this Miss Arkwright. This was that second girl he was looking at, the plain girl with, who's got the banker father and a little bit of money and, 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 and position and, and connections. So he makes a practical you know, business marriage. Not one based on passion, not one based... Not really what he wanted. He, he wanted the beautiful, um, pretty wife, it seems, who would you know, accompany him through life in, in Nebraska and the different places he wants to go. So, I, I mean, I think Lucy makes the right choice here, even though, you know, what could this relationship with Sebastian have ever been unless he was going to divorce her, divorce his wife. Um, anyways, none of it matters because as she's um, doing her work, Preparing for her um, performances with with Sebastian, she gets the news that an accident killed both Mockford and Sebastian during the European tour. It was like a boating accident and a drowning, and uh, and that's how Book One ends. Now, Book One is is the bulk of the novel. It's seventy five pages or so, so that only leaves about fifty pages for Books Two and Three, um, but and it's really the heart of the novel, but. Alone, it's just a, a tragedy of, of a young girl who falls in love with someone maybe she shouldn't have, who turned her back on other marriage, marital opportunities, and then gets broken hearted because the man she loves died. Um, we also get a little window into a artistic relationship. Again, that's something she, she plays around with in Song of the Lark, is, you know, the, the is artistic love i suppose or you know the how how artistic women see love and 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 what kind of men they they can be happy with you know it's not always like the the men from the frontier that can kind of fill that their needs right even though these are very different characters i I don't want to compare too much Thea in that novel is, is an artist on another level than, than Lucy, it seems. Lucy is still young, still learning to play piano. She has to practice a lot. You know, Thea, by the end of the novel, is, is like a world-class opera singer, right? And, and, but nevertheless, I, I do think there are some points of comparison between these these two tales. All right, so that's book one. Um, book two, Lucy comes home, and she comes home amidst rumors. So she hears... The suggestions of her, you know, why she came back—was she fired? Uh, did she do something disrespectful or something? It's just a wash with rumors, and of course, Harry must have spread some of these rumors because there's rumors out there that that Lucy um, basically was uh, was like. Um, I mean, the story that Harry tells—it's pretty clear he tells the story because these rumors are out there, and other people say it. Even Pauline says it. Is that she? Well, that Harry rejects Lucy because Lucy was, was sleeping with some guy. That seems to be the rumor that, that got spread. And it must have got spread somewhere. The only person who would have known would have been Harry. The only person who would have known about this other man. And to be fair, Lucy doesn't fully explain what her relationship is with her. I mean, he basically walks out immediately after she mentions another man. So she doesn't have time to do it. But you know, there's certainly space for mythology to build up here into something, into, in something else. Harry is constantly rude to Lucy. Lucy does try to reach out to him because she's very lonely. She's very sad. and She tries to reach out to people she knows and, and somewhat cares for. But Harry's just incredibly rude to her. And this is an important point because why Harry is so uh, aggressively rude to her is going to come up in book three. Um, Lucy spends most of her time just sitting in the orchard. Uh, she plays piano for an old widow a few times. You know, she doesn't really do much work, though. She's just sort of sitting there. Um, this part of the story is the closest window we get into Pauline, who is Lucy's sister, and she's kind of an interesting character. She's um, kind of an older generation of the frontier. I, I'm thinking like that. almost like the, the protagonist of old pioneers is remind you know. In, I forget that character's name, but the protagonist of old pioneers, a very practical woman right very doing what has, she has to be done for the family right this take charge kind of figure uh, she's much older than lucy as well she's i think about a decade older than lucy so if lucy's you know in her early 20s um, pauline's in her in her early 30s right and a different point in life too. a point in life when you're you, you have to be more practical right She's stayed behind she's not an artist and she always resented the money that the family has spent on Lucy's, what's on Lucy and what was now very clearly a wasted education. She's not pursuing her art in any serious, degree, you know, level. She sits at the orchard. And at one point, Pauline even wants to like replace the orchard with something that will make more money, and Lucy re- rejects it. So you know, Lucy doesn't really have this consciousness of money. Um, it's a scene really towards the end of the book, too. Um, right before the tragedy hits where Pauline you know, tries to explain to Lucy how much money the family spent on her education. And Lucy doesn't even really understand the meaning of money, it seems. She doesn't show that she understands how much money it really was. Even saying at one point, like, well, I had to buy clothes because when you do these performances and you do rehearsals, you have to be dressed a certain way. And she totally, totally misses out on what a burden she's been on the family. And the fact that she's not pursuing her artistic education anymore and her artistic career because of this tragedy, you know, it's you know that's a big hole for the family to dig out from under. Um, and so Pauline eventually finds a couple students for for Lucy, and she refuses to to take the students. And this um, this was right before the tragedy. Um, Right before Lucy goes off to go ice skating, where she's told, "I got students for you, and you can help, you know, make money for family and the family." And she says, "I don't want to do that." Um, before that happens, though, there's a few other events that take place in in Haverford in in Lucy's life. Uh, for instance, her father, trying to it seems, cheer her up to get her out of her depression, buys her tickets to the Bohemian Girl, the, an opera that's playing in town. Um, now, The Bohemian Girl is not La Boheme. I think there's source material between La Boheme by Puccini and The Bohemian Girl is the same or similar. I, I, I want to say it's maybe the same source material. Two different operas based and two different librettos based on the same background story. That's, that's happened before in opera history. Um, that's what I, I think. I, I don't want to look it up, though. But it's not La Boheme. It's not, not to be confused with it. Um, and he she listens to the the opera and um you know she's just it doesn't it just depresses her more actually to be honest because what she sees is an aging artist um who's kind of losing her ability and and maybe she sees herself in that i I don't know or in a way i I think there's like a gap there's almost like a window into Thea here like What it would take to be Thea from Song of the Lark is a complete commitment to art and an abandonment of of personal relationships and family. And Lucy never really could have been that character, I think, but there's a little bit of a window into what a middling artist in the frontier could become. Quote, why was it worth her while, Lucy wondered, singing this humdrum music to humdrum people? Why was it worthwhile? This poor little singer has lost everything. Youth, good looks, position, the high notes in her voice, and yet she sang so well. Lucy wanted to be up there on the stage with her, helping her do it. A kind of wild excitement flared up in her. She felt she must run away tonight by any train, back to a world that strove after excellence, a world out of which this woman must have fallen. It was long before Lucy got to sleep that night. The wandering singer had struck something in her that went on vibrating, something that was like a purpose-forming, and she could not stop it. When she awoke in the morning, it was still there, beating like another heart. Day after day, she kept in her. But she she could give her attention to other things, but it was always there. She felt as if she were standing at the edge of something, about to take a plunge or departure. Um, maybe a little bit of a hope there, actually, and, and maybe that she this wakes her up into reviving her art, but she's not gonna have time uh, to, to fulfill that. So it's sometime around Christmas, so the, the plot of this novel takes place, mostly over a year. Um, confronts her about these students. She wants her to teach to help bring in some money to the family, and she rejects doing that, and she goes skating. She walks out to, to skate on the river or a lake or something, and it starts to snow, and she realizes it's going to be kind of miserable, so she turns back, and as she's turning back, Harry pulls by her in a carriage and they chit chat a little bit and she basically says like can you give me a ride home and Harry says no i can't essentially and obviously he can there's no reason he can't he makes up some excuse why because he just wants to keep his distance from her now yeah he's being an asshole to be sure he justifies what he does later on in the novel but for whatever reason he says i can't help you and you know drives away so she's left to go on her own. Now, as she's going back, she she finds a place on the river where she used to skate as a kid, right? Um, but, you know, I don't really know the the ecology of all this. Because skating on the river seems pretty dangerous. But, you know, at certain times, you know, parts of the river will be frozen over. And if you know the local environment, you know what's safe, right? But the, this was a place she used to skate as a kid. And now it's... a like the river course has changed or or the the local situation has changed and now the ice isn't safe that's what happens so she's skating on this ice and and she falls in breaks she falls in and dies Um, and that's the end of book two um book three it's only the last 15 pages or so of the novel is set 25 years later it's set to 1927 so the events of the novel are set to 1915. um pauline has died at some point i think she died like in 1922 the 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 World War II took place and Harry fought in World War II. Um, what really sparks the last events in the novel is the death of, of Mr. Gayhart, um, Pauline and Lucy's father. Um, and Mister he, he actually went out east for like surgery or treatment and he died so they sent the body back and when his body comes back there's a funeral and he's, he's a fairly respected member of the community and one person who attends the funeral is, is Harry and we learned that Harry has developed quite the friendship with, with Mr. Gayhart over the years, playing chess. In fact, um, he actually, he's a banker, right? So he actually gives Mr. Gayhart a mortgage late in, his, in, late in his life, right? To help him, basically for a pension, right? In those days, he didn't have very good pensions and there wasn't Social Security. So the way he he paid for his retirement, essentially, was, 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 was with a mortgage. And so that meant that, If he couldn't pay it back, which obviously, I mean, how would he, Um, with his daughter's dead? You know, the bank's going to get the home, right? Harry's essentially going to own the farm. So, you know, that family connection that maybe could have been there, had he married Lucy, is still there in other ways. But most of this section, these last few pages of the novel, center on the guilt that Harry feels. Because he he explains, now maybe he's justifying, maybe he's justifying his actions and... You know, he has good reason to feel guilty. Lucy wouldn't be wouldn't have died if he had picked her up. Um, but the question is, why was he being so aloof? Why was he refusing to help her? Why was he refusing to talk to her? At one point in book two, Lucy actually goes to the um, bank to talk to Harry, and he rejects, he refuses to see her. And the explanation that he gives to himself and to us is he was so hurt by this, and he immediately, after... Being rejected by, by Lucy. He's so hurt by this, he just marries the first woman who's like next in the row, like this Miss Arkhart. And it's a loveless, it's a tragic marriage. It's, it's bare, Catherine describes it as barren, both in the fact they didn't have children and barren in every other way as well. I mean, it's a really, really horrible, loveless, sexless, passionless marriage. Um, and he never stopped loving or, or having some kind of feelings for, for Lucy right and so when she returned to haverford he couldn't really handle that and he felt if she would interact with him if she would if he could look into her eyes whatever it would be he would fall full in love with her and and it would be unredeemable right um at that point he would lose himself in his love for her that's what he sort of tells us and that is his explanation to us about why he had to act that way and that's the the cause of the tragedy is is harry more than it was was lucy and it wasn't that because he hated her it's actually he loved her so much that he couldn't really face her that's what we're told i don't know if i fully forgive him again he's not the worst person in the world he's you know a lot of people have done worse things um, in these novels that we've been reading Um, but still the the blame in many ways is on him and his own immaturity and his inability to 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 handle the fact, you know, the simple fact that this woman that he was falling for and wanted to marry was in love with someone else. A common enough experience, but um, the fact that he got friend zoned, you know, if you get friend zoned, it's not an excuse to treat people like, like shit. That's, that's the lesson, I think. So I already told you how, in the story, Harry sort of inherits the farm um, after Mister Gay dies. He gives it. Now it's a really touching moment at the end, and it almost redeems him. If I if I feel too if I'm too soft on Harry, it might be because of this final scene where there's on the on the property there's this concrete that was laid, and and Lucy when she was young, I think like a te- young teenager, whatever, walked three steps on the wet concrete and left her footprints. So he says he gives this land, he gives this whole farm essentially to his bank assistant, to one of his employees, on the condition that he preserves these footprints. And the final uh, sentences of the novel are him reflecting actually on those, those footprints. I'll read the last paragraph. Quote, when he came out of the house, The last intense light of the winter day was pouring over the town below him, and the bushy tree tops in the church steeples gleamed like copper. After all, he was thinking, he would never get away from Haverford. He had been through too much here ever to quit this place for good. What was a man's hometown anyways but the place where he had the disappointments and learned to bear them? As he was leaving the gay heart, he paused mechanically on the sidewalk, as he had done so many thousand times to look at the three light footprints running away. And our, our first introduction to Lucy is, of course, as a kind of a girl, a young woman, uh, delightfully walking and, and kind of skipping uh, on her way to where she's, she's heading. And that's kind of preserved forever in these three footprints. It's, it's really a nice touch. Um, uh, even though the story is kind of tragic, it does have that nice, nice ending, I think. And, and it does redeem Harry a, a little bit. So anyways, that's, that's Lucy Gayhart, uh, a really quick read. I think it's the shortest novel in this collection, and maybe the shortest, no, it's, no, it's not actually. The Lost Lady is even shorter, but um, really, you can read it in one sitting if you want. Make a sandwich if you need to. Um, so that's all I want to say about Lucy Gayhart. I like this novel. I, I think it's, it's kind of, it's rather nice. Um, it gets some of the themes of Song of the Lark in a much smaller novel, um, but it really works as a, as a very close study of, of this young woman who, you know, find, like, find, finds an impossible love and, and it ends tragically, and she can't really handle that. And it's also a novel, I think, about the friend zone in a way and, and how not to handle the, the friend zone. Uh, I mean, Harry, if, if you want to look at it from Harry's point of view, that's, that's the lesson there. Um, like, Again, don't treat people like garbage just because they're, they're not romantically interested in you. So anyways, that's, that's the story. I, I like it. Um, not my favorite in this collection by any means, but, but a nice nice read. I'm glad I, I discovered it. So anyways, let me know what you think of this story. If you had the pleasure to read it, you can send me an email or send me, send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Or, uh, or leave uh, your comment directly below. Uh, in the next episode, I'll be doing the same thing. I'll be doing a one-off episode on an, on a novel. Um, it's a little bit longer than this one, but still, I I spent enough time with Willa Cather for this this round. There's, there's one other volume of Cather's writings, by the way. Uh, I think there's two more like novels or collections of stories or some nonfiction writing that's all collected in one one book, and maybe we'll get to that someday. I don't own that volume yet though, so if when I get a hold of it, I will uh, record episodes on it. But this volume just has one more um, for us to look at. It's called Safira and the Slave Girl. This novel is set, I think, in the 1830s uh, or 1840s. In Virginia, it's, it's, a, it's a story about slavery um, and, and gender politics in a, in a, in a plantation. It's, it's quite good. Um, it's her last novel, um, published in 1940. A lot of important things to talk about. It's not the best novel about slavery I've ever read, certainly, but uh, and not Cather's best novel. But it's got some powerful messages, I think. So it's worth looking at. So that's next, Sophia and the Slave Girl. Um, for now, I'm going to sign off. So thanks for listening to my thoughts about Lucy Gayhart and, and for sharing this. Uh, novel with him. Your mother you was you next time. raised away way down in Texas where the Jensen weed in the Sanders grow. We'll feed you up on prickly pear oil and then send you open to old Idaho. whoopi be io